Welcome to the Unblocking Crypto Podcast. This podcast is not financial advice. It's meant for entertainment purposes only. These are just the opinions of a couple of rambling wrecks. Welcome back to episode number 75 of Unblocking Crypto. Hal, great to see you again. Good to see you, Jason. This week has almost been kind of a, a slowdown from the past couple of weeks. We've had so much activity from BlackRock's ETF filing over the last couple of weeks that Man, it, it almost seems like there's not much going on compared to the past few weeks, but I, I think that's probably a good thing. We need a breather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it feels like the uh, the news agencies are trying to milk the ETF and regulation stories. Like they had a lot of success getting a lot of clicks with them over the last week or two, so they're just going to keep riding that because it without a lot of price action, it wasn't like they need needed to come up with a new story, you know, like a new narrative as to why price is going up or down. So, yeah, most of the things that I read was just. It was kind of squeezing more blood out of that rock uh, of the BlackRock ETF finally. Yeah, I, I think to me, the, the biggest news that I kind of saw was talking about an update on the whole BRICS grouping. And since they're now up to like 41 countries that are interested in being a part of this BRICS alliance, which considered it started at five, <laughs> not at 41, it's, it's got a lot of attention and everything from Mexico down to south america a ton over in europe and in asia i was arguing with a friend of mine who likes to argue in general he's an attorney so that's kind of his job and i was looking into the BRICS thing because we were i can't remember i can't even remember his position or my position on BRICS. but the forced me to kind of look and see what it what it was evolving into and not only are they kind of picking off some smaller countries, like when they added South Africa, I was kind of like, okay, they're kind of running out of steam. But now they're looking at Saudi Arabia's interested, Iran's interested, uh, United Arab Immigrants, United Arab Emirates is interested. And so you start to put together a lot of natural resource heavy countries like Russia and those Middle Eastern countries, along with China and the ability to manufacture a bunch of stuff. And you, you're kind of building a decent conglomerate that can that can do stuff. I'm not going to say they're going to overwhelm the West, but the West isn't very good at doing things. Like all we do is complain about uh, we shouldn't be pulling any more natural resources out of the ground in within our countries. We'll buy the products, but we won't mine. And we won't manufacture because nobody will pay that much for manufactured goods. And we won't allow a... Uh, a, a living wage under fifteen dollars an hour, but we'll buy the goods from other countries where they're you know making five dollars a day. So I think that if the BRICS organization starts to swallow up the countries that supply the West with cheap goods and and services, it would be worth paying attention to uh, to how much power they could wield. You know, it's like we can't go to war with China because China supplies us with a bunch of stuff not just for citizens but like for the military uh so maybe it would just be like a weird cold war against the west versus BRICS for however many years that goes on until you know until that 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 ends but it's definitely uh something that hasn't happened in my life where i'm like yeah the us and european countries in the west would be you know would have somebody contending for you know economic power well, it's interesting. There's kind of a couple different things going on. One, India just came out and said their goal was to try to strengthen their own internal currency. 
and not create a another currency that China could use as a weapon <laughs> is kind of their right. worry. And 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 India's I mean, I've seen some things that India could actually become a have a larger GDP than the US and overtake the US as the second largest economy in the world um, mm. in the next 50 years, right? So this isn't happening anytime soon, but it's still like with the way that they're going, it, things could change over there. The other thing that is happening is there's talk about the BRICS group unveiling a gold backed cryptocurrency. So using some sort of precious metals, which it sounds like gold. I know there's been talks with a lot of other companies to do that precious metals type thing. And kind of second to your point, where a lot of these companies are the ones that have access to all these precious metals, that if they could use some sort of version of that and shoot Russia and China have been hoarding gold for quite some time, <laughs> then it, it makes sense something like that would happen. So it'll, yeah, it'll I mean, be interesting to see what happens. And if you look at those countries, if they have a, like, you can't trust the Chinese currency. Like, if you're looking at BRICS and how are they going to develop a currency like Europe developed the euro, how does BRICS develop a currency? Well, you can't trust Russia, you can't trust China, you can't, like, you need to have, they almost have a Bitcoin problem where, like a Byzantine emperor's problem where they nobody can trust each other. And so, they but they could all agree to trust a, uh, like a trustless third party. So... I mean, it's great that a couple central or they're going to try to do a centralized power version of Bitcoin that other people can trust and like, okay, well, we'll keep the gold in some vault that's monitored. I mean, you know, how do, you got to play all these games to make sure that your, your gold backed currency actually has gold to back it or precious metals to back it. It would be a lot easier if they just said, we'll just use Bitcoin because it's a, we're already it's already there, but it doesn't it, it doesn't have the market cap necessary. I mean, you need to you need. You need trillions just for them, right? So it's just not there yet. But but yeah, I mean, Bitcoin at least showed them like, hey, you don't have to trust one government to back a fiat currency with air. You can, you know, there's another way. So I don't know, man. Uh, it's worth keeping an eye on because it's kind of one of those generational or once in a lifetime, once in a generation or, you know, once every hundred years kind of kind of thing. Yeah, and to tie into that a little bit, I mean, the, the CDBC interest is becoming kind of this all-time high, right? I mean, if you look at back in 2020, there were maybe 35 countries that were considering CDBCs. Now you're over 130 countries as of today that are moving towards creating their own CDBC. Uh, and I mean, the expectation is there's going to be quite a few of them by the end of the decade that are actually rolled out and being used. Uh, so that, yeah, I read a quick article. <laughs> I read a quick article on the Brazilian CBDC that's open source, and in the code, it talks about being able to freeze your currency, like freeze your assets. Um, if you're, you know, I don't know that it went into like what reasons they had to have in order to do it, but you know, they can just pull, a, they can just push a button, and you're locked out of your your money. You know, let's let's let some other countries uh, learn some hard lessons before. The United States jump in, jumps into that. Well, uh, I guess let me make this clear. I'm not a fan of CDBCs. This is more <laughs> of the the countries are doing it because they want to have control, right? I mean, that's kind yes. of what we've talked about this entire time. Is it, it gives them the ability to control the money supply even more so than they do today. So it makes sense for them to do it. It is unfortunately going to be a hard lesson that the first movers do end up probably learning 
the hard way. I mean, you look at like Tether and things like that, they, ha they have the ability to freeze that when they think something's wrong. I mean, th they want the same sort of regulation or ability to say, all right, we want you to do this or set up, hey, if you don't spend this, we get it back, right? I mean, it, there's a lot of those worries that are gonna happen and until it really rolls out, no one's gonna see it or <laughs> be able to, to point a finger to it until it actually does happen. Yeah, and even if it does happen and it like some South American country goes goes forward with it and their government freezes assets. I mean, Canada did it basically for those truckers without a CBDC, but even if that happens, I still think 25% of Americans are still pro CBDC. And despite all of the government's failures and everything they do, they'll still expect the government to do a good job with it. You know, like other governments can't do it. The United States government can't function uh, in almost any level, but they'll be like, yeah, this is a great idea. And I'm like, that 25% of the population that's always up for whatever is, um, they're going to be wrong again. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's ever going to be uh, something that everybody can agree on. I mean, you, you, if you pay any attention to politics, it's never 100% zero. It's always like <laughs> 5149, it seems like. There, there's yeah, just yeah. nothing that everybody can agree on. And this will definitely be one of those that the people that work for the government, I think, would want to keep this going because it keeps their jobs, right? So, And they have a lot mm -hmm. of employees. <laughs> right, the biggest employer in the world. But I, uh, I would like to see this slow play regulation continue because if they can't regulate the cryptocurrencies and i mean bitcoin bitcoin started in 2009 they've been talking about legislation for almost 10 years and they haven't done they've virtually done nothing other than saying yeah bitcoin is a property and you know it's not subject to wash sales from the irs standpoint like they've done so, so little that i can't imagine them even right now like blackrock uh, filing for a for an ETF and, you know, they're on top of it. They're as close as you can get to a government uh, indicating that, you know, things are about to start rolling forward. So no way are they going to be able to like crank out a CBDC and, and roll it out in any kind of time frame that makes sense. So maybe that slow play allows other countries to screw this up so bad uh, that, that it'll become a voting issue. I mean, it, at least every two years we get to vote. You know, you'd have to really time it out. Like if if uh, whoever wins this election next year, they come into office in January and they say, yeah, we're going to do a CBDC. You got four years to get it done. And if the population doesn't like what you're doing, two years later, they can flip the House or the Senate and, and start putting a stop to things. So I think, you know, it's kind of nice that the government's as slow as it is so that gigantic mistakes uh, they, you know, the, the people can slow the government down from making mistakes, but I don't know. We'll see. I, I think, uh, I don't know. The CBDC thing seems like, it seems like a conspiracy theory that it's like, oh, you know, okay. These tinfoil hat guys are worried about CBDC, but uh, if the, the last three years have taught me, like, I need to pay attention to this. Well, speaking of regulation, when we've talked about 2023 was going to be a, a theme of the year was going to be regulation and South Africa just required or mandated all of their crypto exchange crypto exchanges to get a license so i mean it's a step forward at least they're doing something i know the sec has somewhat joked that all you have to do is come tell everybody you're doing this and you'll be fine but they don't allow anybody to to get registered to do anything here so it, then they just come back and say oh you were doing this illegally 
So at yeah. least, I mean, we are seeing other countries make the steps needed to start to see some sort of regulation happen in a lot of these locations. Yeah, I also saw one of the former CFTC um, members came out and said that it's way overdue for regulation in the United States and basically just trying to push the SEC and CFTC to come out with like a unilateral regulation that actually covers things and gives gives direction like so i have this kind of philosophy about work where some people go to work and they kind of do they kind of do their job but if anything's sort of difficult they just wait until their boss shows up or their manager shows up or someone shows up to help them with this problem and then there's some people who go to work and they're like you know there's no cavalry coming to rescue me this is my problem i've got to do it myself and fix this thing and i feel like the sec and the cftc is just waiting for someone to step in and say oh here's what you need to do in order to regulate digital assets but there's nobody coming because they're the people that have to make this decision and so you know it's like a it's it's really an ultimate kick the can thing where they just wait and at a certain point this crypto industry you know if, if bitcoin goes back to 60 70 or some of these predictions i've been seeing you know i don't know if it's something that in the wind or something about summer that the news agencies start publishing all these predictions you know, you're talking a hundred thousand to two hundred thousand dollars of bitcoin in the next 12 to 18 months that's enough of a market cap that if you're not regulating it now you're in pretty big trouble like there's tons of money that you're going to be kind of fighting to organize how that money flows and what's regulated how it's taxed who you know how these exchanges need to behave getting things registered and all you're going to do in another ramp up like another bitcoin bull run is you're going to have way more startups coming in because there's no real barriers to entry there's nowhere to register there's nowhere to sign up and now they're going to be supported because ai can generate all the code to make the websites for all the exchanges and all the broker dealers and like instead of having to pay a bunch of people to write the code they're just going to ai their way into building out these systems that allow you to buy and sell bitcoin or other cryptos so not only are they behind they're getting behind by more every day so i'm kind of with this um this xft cftc guy i can't remember his last name but uh he's like yeah they need to get it done today I'm like yeah it's gonna just get harder and harder to regulate yeah, so you mentioned, I mean, Standard Charter, which is a pretty big bank, came out and said they expect Bitcoin to be 50K by the end of this year and 120K by the end of next year, which which is, a, which is a lot. I mean, that's we've already seen some huge growth this year for Bitcoin, and we're saying it's going to almost double again and then more than double next year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a 4X so, in 12 months, that puts, you, that puts you at a $2 trillion market cap for Bitcoin only. So, yeah. you know, two trillion, like, guess what? What Apple's a $3 trillion market cap. They're regulated. Like, they know what rules to play by. Imagine having a company in an, like, kind of develop a new industry, be, in, be innovative, and do their own thing to the point that they're the size of Apple before the SEC starts to regulate them. It's not possible. They'd catch them way earlier. Well, you mentioned AI too, and I know we've talked about Arthur Arthur Hayes in the past, the guy that created BitMEX and had some problems with regulation back in the day. Well, he has a lot of insights into where things are going, and one of the latest ones he's been talking about is he thinks AI will end up 
selecting Bitcoin as their preferred currency to work with internally, and that the selection of AI or by AI of Bitcoin could probably push Bitcoin up to 750K a coin. Now, he doesn't give a timeline on that, but still, I mean, if you talk about how AI in the next five years is going to somewhat take over, you're talking about that could create this whole supply crunch. I mean, because Bitcoin right now has, what, it's just about 7.5% of the the supply is left to be mined over the next 100 years. So there's a lot, there's very few coins left to be mined. And if AI starts taking over it, in addition to what all the spot ETFs are doing, I mean, you, you look at kind of the whales and the sharks, which are those guys that hold, what, 10 Bitcoin to 10,000 Bitcoin in their wallet. They have acquired since BlackRock announced the ETF filing over two trillion dollars of Bitcoin. Sorry, two billion dollars. Two point one five billion. Yeah, two yep. two point one five billion. Right. So like seventy thousand Bitcoin. So I mean, there's a lot of people that think that Bitcoin is going to take off. BlackRock, these whales. I mean, everybody's positioning themselves for the next bull run, which is theoretically right on the horizon. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, if if you're if you're like me and you, where you're convinced, highly convinced that Bitcoin isn't going away, right? And then it's a, it's not much less of a percent chance that Bitcoin succeeds in a, in a pretty big way, right? Six figure Bitcoin, you know, six figure dollar value per Bitcoin or more over some time frame, right? Like an irrelevant time frame in your lifetime or in your children's lifetime. BlackRock filing for an ETF only makes you more convicted in your position. So all you're going to do, you're not going to sell any Bitcoin. You would only be buying. So everybody that's in Bitcoin, that's not like, um, there's a lot of people that are like, look, I'm just going to buy some Bitcoin, sit on it, and I'm not going to do anything. Like I know someone, uh, a retired person whose financial advisor was like, eh, buy a Bitcoin and just don't do anything. And this was like years ago. So that's what they did. So I just, I know someone in my circles, and I'm not super, uh, this super extrovert that knows a bunch of people, but this is like no one. This is someone who watches, reads, consumes zero Bitcoin information, no idea how Bitcoin works or what it does. There's a Bitcoin that's never coming back, right? It doesn't take very many people like that, along with the dollar cost average people that are constantly buying, along with these whales and and you know people that aren't afraid to drop six figures into Bitcoin, you know. And then never mind like the Michael Saylor types, they'll drop a hundred million dollars over the course of a week to, to increase their position. So you've got a real supply side problem. You know, miners aren't selling. Miners are actually getting emboldened right now. Um, you know, the, the, the narrative on the energy consumption is really starting to turn over. Texas is leading that, you know, their ability to subsidize renewable energy infrastructure projects through being able to use that like the wind blows at night people don't use electricity at night so you can run bitcoin miners at night with free power from the from the uh windmills like things like that that that's turned over there's i just saw a huge investment into like riot blockchain uh or riot the mining company riot r-i-o-t on the stock ticker that somebody bought like 10% of their stock, like, like at an investment house 
maybe it was Vanguard, like a Vanguard fund or a Fidelity or something. So, you know, people are finding ways to get money into Bitcoin. If they make it easier, if, if you could buy a spot ETF instead of buying Riot Mining Company, I think you would buy the Bitcoin ETF. For me, I, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of in a position to ramp up. It's going to go down. It's going to go up. But in two years from now, I bet we're in a pretty good Bitcoin position. The U.S. dollar is falling apart and Bitcoin's doing its thing. So, yeah, I think um, if you look at this over the long enough period of time, there's it's very difficult to think that Bitcoin's price is going down against the U.S. dollar. Well, you look to the hash rate, right? I mean, we're about to set new records with the hash rate. And it's like every week. Set- yeah, we haven't set new records with price in, in quite some time. So if you're now hitting a, a new record in hash, price, hash rate, and I think the difficulty is supposed to jump another 5% here in the next change, which is over 53 trillion, right? I mean, it, it's just insanely high that this difficulty is going to be. And typically the price does follow the hash rate and the difficulty, right? So at some point it's got to come up and catch where things are going. So, I mean, it all the signs point in the right direction and it's one of those could it go down yes but long term is it going to go down probably not your the expectation is for it to go much higher yeah i mean basically everybody has to be wrong right guys like me and you have to be wrong blackrock's got to be wrong grayscale's got to be wrong all uh, yeah arc investments yeah. Uh, they're uh, you know uh, in different short-term horizons she's been wrong but Fidelity. I mean, you know, to bet against Bitcoin and just sit on dollars is it seems crazy to me now. So there's been some other interesting little news this week that well, I feel like they don't really have much to do with crypto. A lot of times they're kind of good to know about. And I don't know if you remember back when the whole FTX saga went down, there was some talk about Taylor Swift being a part of the advocates for FTX and she ended up never doing that and they made her look like a hero because she was smart enough to kind of ask questions and ended up not going down the path and partnering with FTX well some recent news have have come out that she actually wanted to and they sent an email to SBF and it just sat in his inbox for weeks and I think he was told not to worry about Taylor Swift. So she wanted to be a part of it, but they just didn't know. They just (laughs) let things fall through the cracks. And then she spun it that, yeah, her whole team had made a a great decision on that. When in reality, she actually wanted to be a part of it because she was going to make $100 million (laughs) like everybody else. Uh, So that was kind of interesting to kind of hear. And I feel like I get out of the news. (laughs) That's that's how it works, man. It's like we're geniuses because of this accident happened in our favor. And then I know uh, everybody's probably aware of the Winklevoss twins and they have an exchange Gemini that had a, the Gemini earn program that you could earn like 8% or something on your stable coins. They were owned by DCG, which uh, Barry uh, Seifert, yeah, he is the CEO of DCG and there's been a lot of back and forth, actually on Twitter, I think between the Winklevoss twins and him saying, hey, you're not being fair um, what, and everything that's going on. Well, I think 
they had just issued an ultimatum that they were going to sue DCG if they didn't respond. I think DCG responded to the 43-page document that the League of Lost Twins had put out saying, here's all our issues, and didn't really answer any of them, saying that they they didn't know what they were talking about, that DCG was working through some of these issues, and then the League of Lost Twins weren't even involved in those. And I think the response back was, of course you don't want us involved in this because you guys are <laughs> committing fraud and you don't want us to call you out on it. So it, I, I expect, I think in the next day or so, there should be some sort of lawsuit being filed by Gemini. Put it on the list of why if regulators' jobs are to protect retail investors, they're not doing their job and they're letting these kind of weird leverage relationships happen between exchanges and earn programs eight three you're talking about getting eight percent when the fed funds rate was at one percent right for a sophisticated investor you're like okay well i need to know where they're getting this yield from because they're getting eight percent i'm getting eight percent so they've got to be getting ten percent or twelve percent or sixteen percent how are they getting that it's not easy it was not easy to get sixteen percent yield three or four years ago uh i'd say it's rarely been easy ever to get that kind of yield so other than like when Volcker had the rates at 20%. So I, I, I don't uh, put it on the list for why the regulators aren't doing their job. Like they need, if they're stepping in, if this is organized, this problem never exists because this couldn't happen. Uh, the Winklevoss, they seem to be too whiny for me. Like they're in charge, right? They're the, they, they're, it's Gemini because they're twins. Like it's their company. They didn't, they weren't forced to be in a, a business relationship with DCG. They're not forced to sign any contracts or do anything they're not, you know, they don't want to do. But yet now it's the, it's their, their business partner's fault that something's going wrong. Like, what did they sign up for? Why did they sign up for it? And how did they not monitor enough to, to let this thing go away? Because like, you know, that the DCG things tied in with the grayscale stuff, the grayscale uh, the Grayscale Trust seems like the only thing that's actually like if you buy into it, you actually get you actually know what you're getting, right? You're either paying a discount or a premium against the uh, asset value of the trust. And then you have some level of certainty that that Bitcoin is in the trust and there's no leverage, no yield. You know, you're paying two percent a year to hold it. That's the only thing. Everything else is like these earn programs and yield programs and um, you know, these leveraged, you know, behind the scenes leveraged relationships where DCG or FTX or three arrows is, is loaning money back and forth and, and then everything falls apart, right? It's just, it's not a Ponzi scheme. It's just, it's just a, like a daisy chaining leveraged relationship so that as soon as things start to crash, they all crash quickly. If the, re if, if regulators stepped in, libertarian in me says they don't need to, but they need to because you just can't, I can't tell what's going on. Like when BlockFi, my, my mistake on BlockFi, their custodian was Fidelity when I first started working with them. It was clear. I listened to the CEO talk. He said, that's who our custodian is. I'm like, okay, well, I trust Fidelity. But then next thing I know, customer assets are going to FTX because FTX bailed out or uh, SDX loaned BlockFi money because BlockFi was, uh, you know, as part of these earn programs uh, underwater. And then the next thing you know, as part of that program, as part of that loan agreement, 
they had to custody the assets with FTX instead of Fidelity. So my assets went from Fidelity to FTX without me even knowing it. There's got to be a transparency piece there, but without regulation requiring transparency, companies aren't going to volunteer that information because that would just it would cause a run on the bank, right? I, if I would have pulled my money out. So to me, it's th these are the reasons why you got to do it in the next few months and you wait two years we're there's a whole new swath of programs and like stuff that we can't even think about uh, different ways to uh to get more you with the more retail investors into the market and then it's gonna be more things you're gonna have to regulate so like i said man they one i don't like jim and i being acting like a victim in an agreement that they weren't forced to get into and uh, two, it's time for regulators to get in. And so these things just stop happening or at least slow down. Yeah. So we both learned the hard way, not your keys, not your crypto. So, I mean, it's definitely important to understand who actually owns your crypto, depending on where it is. And I mean, even some of the staking things, I know Ethereum has been pretty exciting lately with some of these liquid staking derivative options. And they've been in the news because... So Justin Sun, owner of Tron and pretty big on Ethereum staking, he has been taking a lot out of the liquid staking stuff too. So it is interesting just to kind of see what's going on in this space. And I mean, the, the problem now is everybody's starting to learn, protect yourself, right? It's be careful with, with staking a lot of these places. We talked about it last week that uh, the founder of Ethereum doesn't stake his crypto anywhere because he's worried about security. <laughs> Where a lot of other places like Cardano take all of their uh, crypto because they are confident that it's secure. So, yeah, it's a mess out there. But if you want to learn more about cold wallets, check the show notes and you can find out some more details there. Yeah, I, I've gotten to where I, my uh, my hardware wallets, I have a app on my phone. I, I, I have a blue wallet on my phone and I can put in my my addresses and I can just monitor my hard wallet balances so that if I'm like, you know, if I read an article about somebody getting uh, scammed or whatever, I can just like, you know what, let's go check and make sure all my Bitcoin is still in the wallets that it's supposed to be in. Um, so it's like, it's nice to be able to kind of peek into the vault uh, as far as having confidence on the, on on your crypto staying, staying there. Speaking of monitoring your crypto, Block was also in the I don't know if they were really in the news, but they've been filing a patent that it's not really being picked up by a lot of people. So their patent is pretty much going to allow people to withdraw money from an ATM or from a merchant's point of sale device using their phone as a virtual card, which would be really interesting for that to happen. So you wouldn't really need to carry around your card. And my view is that they could have this wallet that they are creating and, and it's in beta you could utilize that to pull cash out of different places using the wallet on your phone yeah you know i was thinking about this uh the other day because i was at chick-fil-a using my phone to pay using a qr code that ties my chick-fil-a app account that has funds on it and i get rewards for it right so that's the level of understanding I have for the Chick-fil-A app, right? I, I don't know the inner workings of how the rewards 
program works or how the transaction works or how long it takes to settle these transactions. Like I know that I link my Chick-fil-A app to my PayPal account or to my whatever, and I scan it and then money transfers and they hand me food. That I'm seeing that app style more and more and more, right? Different restaurants and different places are moving to it. It is such a small jump for a normal person that's never been into crypto to go from the Chick-fil-A app to a wallet that uses a QR code to transfer money. Like yeah. it's almost really coming together nicely. To, as soon as somebody figures out how to, to kind of make this easier to get dollars into crypto, preferably Bitcoin, and then as soon as merchants flip the switch, it's... As soon as Chick Fil A is like, you know what, we're gonna give a, we're gonna give a one percent, one and a half percent discount if you use Bitcoin because we don't have to pay three percent to Visa. Some people that are in Bitcoin are gonna start doing like the buy, and, you know, you spend and replace, um, where you spend Bitcoin and then replace it. And so people are fairly like people that aren't into Bitcoin are fairly ready to use Bitcoin to buy stuff. So I mean that's. That's uh, using your phone to transact, whether it's what, like you said, with Block doing doing that. I mean, if Block comes through with that, man, between Apple Pay and these apps, people are already spending money using their phone and getting used to it. So Algorand was in the news too. They've had a kind of a rough go of it when. <laughs> you don't sound were... excited about this, yeah, about this well, story. Yes. Uh... I mean, you look at Algorand and when Gary Gensler was at MIT, he was a huge fan of Algorand. And then he came to the SEC and pretty much just declared Algorand a security. Right. So they went from being one of these uh, projects that they expected a lot of good things to happen to. I mean, they've lost, oh, man, 95 percent of their value. Uh, they have a, an ex a centralized uh their decentralized finance protocol called AlgoFi that had about 55% of the total value locked of Algorand on that protocol. And they have just announced that they're planning to shut down. So they're going to be in a withdrawal only mode. And a majority of all the value at Algorand is based on this or locked in this protocol. So it can't be helpful for Algorand, but it's just an <laughs> Another thing that I'm sure the SEC is going to come out and say, hey, look what we did. <laughs> we were able to somewhat kill Algorand. Right. We gave we gave SMU the death penalty. <laughs> yeah. Michigan, Ohio State, Georgia, Florida, you guys keep doing your thing. <laughs> the other thing that's kind of interesting, and I, I know I haven't mentioned much about NFTs here for a while, uh, there has been kind of a lot going on in that space. A lot of it hasn't been too exciting. Uh, there's been word on like Blur, one of the exchanges, kind of causing some problems and helping to crash some of the NFT prices, uh, which who knows what's really the truth. But one of the interesting pieces of all of this is Sega, which I'm sure you're aware of. I'm sure you played Sega back in the day, many, many years ago. Oh, yeah. So they have announced that they're going to be releasing a super game in 2026. And while they don't have a ton of details to it, it is part of their Web3 strategy. So they're trying to do the whole balancing act right now. Most game enthusiasts don't like Web3 in general. I think it kind of takes away from some of the games. So it's 
one of those where there's going to be features of it that are Web3, and then they're probably going to spin it to make it sound like a, a regular game too. But it's kind of exciting to see a, a company like Sega taking a very serious consideration on how to integrate Web3 into all of their things moving forward. Yeah, I think uh, the gaming side of this could work um, for some of these, you know, altcoin type type plays. I think somebody will figure out a way to make it work. It's just you got a million people trying to make gaming apps, and and then you, not to mention like console based, a PC based, and all that kind of stuff. So somebody's going to figure out a way to do it in a way that takes off in a big time, in like major way. Games are making a lot of money right now. Not much of it's on Web3. So if they can figure out how to make it on Web3, there's a ton of money that turns into a possibility for others to get a piece of them. To me, it's, it's, this is simple because I don't know crap about game app games and stuff. But so, you know, these kids play, or not just kids, every, all these people play games like Candy Crush and all these, uh, you know, mobile games where you watch an ad so you get rewarded with in-game coins or gems or whatever right as soon as somebody's like yeah you watch these ads and then you get you know because every time they watch an ad they get like a tenth of a penny right the app company gets gets some kickback so man you just convert that into some crypto that's actually money instead of these in-game coins then you're basically saying watch this app and i'll split the game with you some something like that and so that yeah you can spend them in the game or you can transfer them to coinbase and turn them into money and yeah. i mean i guess uh, like that unlocks a bunch of stuff i mean I, again there's, it's probably regulated about gambling and crap like that but like i don't see i don't see why people aren't i don't see why an app company doesn't make that happen and, and enough with these enough with limiting in-game gyms to uh stay in within the game like People will pay you for them now. <laughs> like if uh, if you're, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you don't even have to have a new crypto. You just make it Ethereum. Because like you're making US dollars. So, you know, you just pay out in Ethereum instead of US dollars. And uh, to me, it's not, you're not that far away from it. Yeah. No, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think that's another, to me, another big theme for 2023. And it hasn't really hit the mainstream nearly as much as the whole regulation theme has, but I feel like gaming is 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 coming and it's going to be one of the catalysts for bringing more people onto blockchain and crypto in general. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I, I talked about it the other day uh, with my family because my kids only want digital gifts. Like, mm -hmm. they don't really want stuff. And so I'm like, if they only want digital stuff, now and digital stuff can actually be worth you know you can actually convert it into physical goods later they're definitely going to only want digital stuff like yeah so I, I think uh things are converging in a way that's favorable for uh for, for bitcoin and crypto i just uh, at what at what timeline do they converge donna perfect well this is probably a good time to start to wrap things up I know there's other things that we probably missed, but anything else that you wanted to chat about? No, I think uh, I think we're we're pretty good. I mean, it's kind of fun to see headlines that talk about institutional houses predicting six-figure Bitcoin again. I feel like we went on about a one-year hiatus where the price was kind of coming down, so nobody would 
nobody like what would be awesome is if you go from 60 grand to $20,000 of Bitcoin and Fidelity is like, yep, $150,000 of Bitcoin in you know two years, but they just don't do that. It, it, it just feels like we're going to enter at least some sort of a bull sentiment period of time that uh, that's always a good way to, to kind of jump off on price. Yep. Yeah. Fingers crossed. I mean, 2025 is kind of that peak, I think, when everybody's expecting for it to hit whatever its top is. And hopefully it's a lot more than last time. <laughs> I am seeing a lot more charts lately, like pop up on my the algorithm giving me more charts. And I saw that too. It's like, if you look at the previous peaks to the next bull market, like we're, we're within 200, 200 to 300 days of that, uh, that ramp up from the previous peak. So yeah, that might be something we could talk about next week is like, predicting the next when the next bull run starts like that might be kind of a fun one yeah i guess the only problem is bitcoin is really good at doing the opposite of what you expect so we start oh, yeah. talking about that it's going to tank first <laughs> that's fine i'll buy more <laughs> exactly so awesome well great catching up al and we'll talk to you next week sounds good jason thanks a lot if all of these crypto conversations leave you with more questions and you're looking for answers I've created a product that dives into most of those answers, including why crypto, how to set up a cold wallet, and some of the more advanced strategies for dealing with crypto. Check the link in the notes below and hope to see you there.